How many, how many takes was that? Like how many, how many loop overs was that? Four tracks? That's all Sean, four tracks of Sean. Just thought y'all ought to know that. Good morning, North Boulevard, yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm so glad you're here. A nice, really, really super nice crowd here. And those of you online, we're glad you're with us. If you're online, join the campus. We're just gonna make a campus out of the online community. And that means we need you to be part of what we're doing. I miss seeing some of you. I've been thinking, I saw a, a photograph of one of you that I hadn't seen in seven months. And I was just thinking, oh my goodness, there's so many folks we haven't seen lately. We need this thing to hurry up and end on God's time, on God's time. So I read the other day, that there is a refrigerator-sized asteroid hurtling towards planet Earth that should pass us about November the 2nd, just in time for the elections. Um, and I thought, you know, that's really appropriate for this time of year. After all, we have had a pandemic, we've had a lockdown, we've had economic uh, disasters, fires raging out west, hurricanes in the Gulf of Mexico. There have been all sorts of issues and why not have an asteroid to top it all off here in 2020? You know, it has been difficult. These uh, are really days of anxiety, I think, for a lot of us. Um, sort of high anxious right now, just uh, everything that's going on. Probably most of us really eager to see 2021 finally get here. But I want you to know that right at the end of the book of Ephesians, Paul has not just um, a reassuring message for us, but he actually has a message of strength. It's a message of going out and taking advantage of a difficult time. Uh, his language is the language of warfare, but he says, I want you to know that you can stand in the strength of a mighty God. Men, do we need that today, to stand in the strength of a mighty God. We're not the first to face an anxious age. When Paul planted the church in Ephesus, it was an exceedingly pagan city, much more pagan than anything we would experience here in the U.S. If you walk down Main Street in Ephesus, you would see on either side multiple pagan temples. Violence in the Roman Empire was used for entertainment. We're getting ready to see Halloween movies, some of you will at least, but in the Roman world, they weren't movies. Uh, violence, cruel violence, was just a form of entertainment. It was common around the world. and. Um, it was, wasn't until the Christian religion sort of dominated the, Middle East, uh, the, the Mediterranean world that violence was put in its place. Uh, sexual sin was everywhere in Ephesus. In fact, there is a carving in this, one of the main streets and the ru uh, ruins of the ancient city of Ephesus that is a sign pointing to a brothel. So when you got off a ship in Ephesus and began walking down the street, this is one of the first signs you would see this direction to the brothel. When the church in Ephesus was planted, Nero was the emperor. He was a very cruel man. Uh, he, was, um, he was very perverted. The, uh, I won't go into it, but I can just tell you, no matter how much you might dislike Joe Biden or Donald Trump, neither of them had anything on Nero, who was actually the emperor when the early church of Ephesus was started. There was um, persecution against the Christians, against the church. So when Paul got to Ephesus, a mob, an angry mob, tens of thousands strong gathered in a 30,000 seat uh, theater in order to shout down Paul, looking for him so they could kill him. And only a few years after Paul left Ephesus, a temple was built to the emperor Domitian and Christians were hauled in front of the temple and given a choice, either worship Caesar and live or worship Christ and die. What I'm trying to suggest is if we feel like it's an anxious age in 21st century America, 
Can you imagine what the Ephesian Christians must have felt? And they didn't have a worldwide communion to which they could appeal. Now, they didn't have bookstores selling good Christian books and Christian movies and Christian radio programs. They didn't have churches scattered around the world. They couldn't go listen to amazing podcasts. They were on their own. And yet Paul writes to them with such optimism and such hope. Paul really does believe, and I want us to leave this morning, optimistic, hopeful, and, um, and upbeat about this great truth. We can stand in the strength of our mighty God. We stand in His strength. I want to read the last part of the letter to the Ephesians, and then I want to draw a few lessons, and then today we end the book. Always sad to me to end one of the books of the Bible. Ephesians may be my favorite book of all the Scriptures, so it'll be sad especially for me just to leave it today, but we'll leave on a note of hope. Let's read from Ephesians 6, starting at verse 10. I'm going to read through the text, and then I'm going to make some observations about it afterwards. So here's what Paul says. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. I just want to say, uh, make a comment about this phrase, in the heavenly realms. Paul uses that term five times in Ephesians. What he means is behind the world of the physics that we experience every day, behind the world of relationships and carpets and bodies, behind the world of movies and music and all of that, behind all of that, there's a spiritual reality, more real than the physical reality. And in that spiritual reality, there is a cosmic battle going on between the forces of good and the forces of evil. And Paul wants us to know that the real battle for us is not against Democrats and Republicans or Baptists and Church of Christ or picket you and your husband or you and your wife. The real battle is against the devil. We're going to argue in just a moment that it really matters that you make sure you know who the real enemy is, but I'm just putting a marker here in this text. In fact, when Paul says it's in the heavenlies, he's making a reference to the fact that most Greeks and Romans believed that their gods lived somewhere off in the sky. This is an image from Ephesus of Nike, Nike we say, and you see she has the wings. She lives off in the sky. And Paul is just drawing on that by suggesting that these idols are actually demons, that our real struggle, he says, it's behind the scenes. It's behind the veil of what we would consider to be the physical world. He keeps going. Our struggle is not against the, therefore, let me keep going here, verse 13. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, that's really the thesis of the lesson, is here's what we do to stand in an anxious age. So, verse 14, he begins to list this panoply, this full armor of God. Stand firm then with a belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. Pray for me also that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. 
And then Paul just makes reference. The only reference he makes to another person in this letter is to a guy named Tychicus. By the way, you should note that there's something missing here at the end of Ephesians. Because typically in Paul's writings, he ends a letter by saying greetings to a whole lot of people. He doesn't do so in this letter, which is odd because he spent more time at Ephesus than he did any other city that we know of. And that may mean that the letter to the Ephesians was more of a circular letter, maybe even a sermon that was recorded and then circulated around what we call Turkey today. If that's the case, it would explain why Ephesians might be the best theological book in all the Bible. I mean, the best summary of Christian theology in all the Bible. If you want to know what Christian theology looks like, the letter to the Ephesians is a great place to start. It tells us who Christ is, and then it tells us what we are to do about that. And so Paul addresses this individual named Tychicus, who is probably the preacher, the, the lead minister of the church at Ephesus, who had visited Paul in prison, and now Paul's sending him back to Ephesus with a report on how Paul is doing in prison. Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so that you may also know how I am and what I'm doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. I just make a real quick observation. Tychicus, whose image appears here in this arch in a temple that was built several decades after Paul was there, he, uh, uh, Tychicus is named after Tyche, T-Y-C-H-E in Greek. The Latins called her Fortunas. We would say fortune. She was the goddess of luck or fortune. And she was worshipped, a headquarters of her worship was in Ephesus. I just think it's interesting that this guy is named after the goddess of luck. And he doesn't change his name when he becomes a Christian. You would kind of think that he would change his name. If you were named after a pagan god and then you became a Christian, you might think that you might change your name. But he doesn't, and I can't help but wonder if part of that wasn't because he understood that that name got him into doors that a Christian name wouldn't get him into. More on that in just a moment. And so Paul begins to wind down this beautiful letter, uh, yeah, with these last words, I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. I'm going to read the last verses in just a few minutes. Now, here's what I want you to see. I want you to see that the thesis of the end of the book of Ephesians is this. God calls us to stand, but not just to stand, stand in His mighty power. So let me circle back around to what I said at the beginning. If ever there was a time in most of our lives when we needed a little inspiration and maybe some instruction for how to stand in God's power, it's right now. So it really is a difficult time. It's a difficult time for our country. Um, in my lifetime, I don't remember our ever being this divided. I suspect we were in the late 60s, but I don't remember that. I know that there are many churches that find themselves divided. There are churches now that um, are really wrestling with um, issues of COVID and how do we come back together and do we require masks or not require masks. And these have turned into... Uh, really divisive issues for a lot of churches. A lot of churches are really struggling over this. In fact, I suspect there'll be churches that really will just outright divide over these sorts of things, which is just heartbreaking to think that the people of God, you know, can't offer each other enough grace to find a way to say, all right, we're going to hang together. If ever there was a time that we have to be united, this is a good time for it, for us to show that kind of mercy and grace to one another. It's also a very discouraging time I suspect that most churches are going to come out of the pandemic whenever that finally ends. 
having lost as many as 25, 30, maybe 50% of their people who will have just wandered off. They're frightening times for that reason because we're not real sure what's going to happen. I suspect that regardless of what your uh, party politics is, you're looking at November the 3rd as Armageddon. <laughs> that we have no idea what it's going to look like. Uh, if you're a Republican, you're looking at um, the election of Joe Biden as the end of the world as we once knew it. Uh, if you're a Democrat, you're looking at the election of Donald Trump as four years of horror, a horror film in front of you. I mean, we really are looking at a divisive, discouraging, and anxious time. And Paul speaks to that. He says, listen, take your stand, not in politics. Take your stand, not in your opinions about this or that doctrine and so forth. Take your stand in the strength of God. Let that be where we stand. Let that be what we take home with us. Let that be the message of the Christian church, that we stand in the strength of an awesome God, that he will protect, he will direct. If your man loses in November, God is still in charge. And God will take whatever happens this November, and he will use it for the good of those who love him. Either way, God is king over all of them. He's king over all of them. And so what we want to do is Stand, as Paul teaches, stand in the strength of God. And I just want to make four quick observations from this text that I think will help us do that. And here they go. The first thing is, I want to challenge you to recognize who the real enemy is. It's really important that we get this down. Our enemy is not the guy that you don't like who's running for office. That's not your enemy. Your enemy is not your husband or your wife. Your enemy is not your parents if you don't like your parents. Your enemy is not people from the other church. They're not your enemy. The enemy is the devil. That's what Paul says. We're not fighting a flesh and blood war. We're fighting a spiritual war. One, thing, one way to think about this is when you find someone who really disagrees with you, even theologically, Remind yourself that the person who disagrees with you on what you consider to be a fundamental Christian perspective is actually probably trapped by the devil himself. That he's not really the enemy. The enemy is the devil who's blinding many of us. What we want to do is fight to rescue people from the devil, not fight against those people. We want to be perceived as people who are looking for, through love, for ways to rescue people. It really applies across the board. It applies to ourselves. So we're in a period of, um, I think, increased mental health issues. I'll give you an example. So I've, as I've spoken with a number of you over the last several months, just making pastoral calls, several of you have mentioned that... Uh, Problems that you have had in relationships or mental health problems are worse. They've been exasperated. The ones that um, sink deepest in me because I've experienced it is to hear people talk about how depression has gotten much worse. So I know something about that, having experienced it. And here's what I know. I know that depression itself is a physical disease. It you actually can see it on an MRI. It is some sort of dysfunction of the brain, not the mind, 
the brain. Whether it's serotonin or dopamine, something is not working properly. In the same way that if you have a heart problem, there's a valve that's not working properly or a vein or an artery that's not working properly. But while you have this disease of the brain, the evil one is whispering lies in your ear. The evil one is saying it's a spiritual problem. And so now suddenly you have not only the physical problem of depression, but you think it's a weakness. You think, well, there's just something wrong with me. I must not be very spiritual. Or the evil one starts to whisper in your ear, you deserve this. This is what you get for how you live. Or the evil one whispers in your ear that, see, nobody loves you and they never have. Or he whispers in your ear, you'll never get better. You know what I remember? So I've told you guys about, uh, I, I was not strictly speaking diagnosed with clinical depression, but I had it. And the only reason they didn't diagnose it is because they didn't want it on my records. Picking up a toothbrush in the morning took every ounce of energy I had. I can remember that. Every ounce of energy I had to pick up a toothbrush. I wanted to go back to bed after I picked it up. It was so heavy. Meanwhile, I've got the devil whispering in my ear, this is your fault. This is all your fault. I got the devil whispering in my ear, you'll never be better. You hypocrite. You're going to preach this Sunday and look at you. Your life is in shambles. And here's what I can tell you. If you don't recognize that that is the enemy, the devil's the enemy, he might just trip you up. And so Jesus warns us about this. He said, listen, the devil was a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't speak any truth. When the devil speaks, he lies. Lying is his native language. That's one of the things that the devil likes to do. He likes to whisper in our ears, they're the enemy. Donald Trump's your enemy. Joe Biden is your enemy. Your husband's your enemy. Your parents are your enemy. Your neighbor, that's your enemy. No. The devil's your enemy. Fight the devil. He's the true enemy. When we go after him, oh my goodness, we're free to love everybody. You're free to love everybody when you realize who the real enemy is. You're free to love everybody. have to keep moving. That leads me to this second point. Fight for the souls of your opponents. Don't fight against your opponents. Fight for the souls of your opponents. This is a really important point. Guys, we're Christians. We are the people of God. The most important battle you will ever engage is the battle to win lost people to Jesus. But here's what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking that the most important battle you'll ever wage is the battle of November the 3rd. Some of you are thinking if we don't get our guy elected, this country is going to hell in a handbasket. That's what some of you are thinking. I just want you to know that's a minor skirmish. The big battle is for the souls of the world. If you win the souls of the world to Jesus, you'll never again have to worry about an election. But you can elect your guy from now till Jesus comes back and still find a world lost. We're not here to fight against one another. We're here to fight for the sake of one another. We need to be going after the souls of other people. And I just want to say, if you're not going after the souls of lost people, why in the world are you posting nonsense on social media? Seriously, really? The nonsense we post on social media, the hurtful stuff, the crazy things we say, 
maybe you have a right to do that, but is that really what Christians want to do? I think we make three mistakes when we fight this battle. First, we care more about policy than we care about souls. I'm calling you out on this, guys. I just want you to know this. Some of us are hurting others of us in this church. I talked with somebody this week, and here's his words. I don't know if I belong at North Boulevard. Why? I said, why in the world? I'll tell you why. Because he's reading your posts online. And here's what he's hearing. Your policies mean more than his soul. It can't be that way. We have to care more about the souls of a lost world. We are the church. We have to care more about the souls of a lost world than we care about our policies. Policies matter. I care about policies. I hope you care about policies. But if you're not reaching lost souls, you probably don't have the right to talk much about policies. Not in the church you don't. Our first business is the souls of humans. That's so important that I'm not sure we'll ever get to policy. And that'll probably be okay. Second mistake I think we make is that we think if we scream at people long enough, they'll become Christians. <laughs> I, seriously, we do. So you think about what you post online. You really think that screaming at Biden or Trump is going to bring people to Jesus? Do you think it's going to change anybody's mind? How many of you looked at a tweet this week and changed your political affiliation? I'd like to see you raise your hand. I looked at a tweet, someone screamed at Joe Biden, and I just decided, you know, I'm never going to vote Democrat again. I'm a Republican from now on. It doesn't happen. All you're doing is you're just showing a little bit of virtue. You're just virtue signaling. See, look how smart I am. I'm just suggesting there's a much better way for the people of Jesus. In fact, the matter is, I just want to remind you of what Paul says in our letter of Ephesians. He says, I don't want anything that's unwholesome to come out of your mouth. The only thing that ought to come out of your mouth is that which builds others up. Uh-oh. I hope he's not looking at our social posts. In fact, he goes on to say, I want you to get rid of bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, and slander. Slander means speaking against somebody. Get rid of it. You follow Jesus. I'm not suggesting that politics don't matter. They do matter. We are stewards of the United States of America. It matters what we do. I'm not saying it doesn't matter. What I'm saying is how we wage, wage this war is critical. We're the people of God. And we have to look like the people of God. The one other mistake I think we often make is that we love people, but then we never bother to lead them to the truth. So this is the guy that says, okay, I'm not ever going to talk about truth. I'm just going to love people. Well, let me suggest this. If you really love somebody, sometimes you got to tell them the truth. I'm not, but if I were addicted to meth, you'll be glad to know that's one sin I haven't committed yet. <laughs> if I were addicted to meth and your elders said, you know, we just love David too much. We're never going to mention that to him. You'd, you'd, you'd say they lost their mind. You know what you would tell them? You don't love him because if you loved him, you would get in his life and rescue him from that. That's what you would say, and you'd be right. So we're mistaken if we think, well, I don't ever want to confront anybody with the truth. I'm just going to love them. That's just naive. In Christianity, what do we do? We speak the truth, but we do it in love. In fact, I want to suggest that oftentimes we need to lead with love. So you all know that one of my closest friends is Corey Trimble over the experience Experience community, I call it church. 12 years, he's planted the church 12 years ago. They got 5,000 people on a normal Sunday already. 
And, and, and people now come from all over the country to interview Corey. What are you doing? It's kind of funny to listen to Corey talk about it. He'll tell me, you know, they come and they're looking for the smoke machine because growing churches all have smoke machines. I guess you know that. And they, figure, they want to know all about the lights. It must be the lights. What kind of lights are you using? Uh, and it's that awesome worship band you have. And Kyle's great. I, I'll admit that. But you know what? At the end of the day, you know what it is? If you know Corey, you know this. Corey has such an unadulterated love for people that they can't stay away from him. He starts with love. He means it too. And by starting with love, people just, they just, they're just drawn into his orbit. If you go to coffee with Corey, I've done it a thousand times, he'll know everything about the barista before it's done. And he'll have them at his church that Sunday. And they'll come from every conceivable background. And I asked him his permission to say this. By the way, I want to recommend his book because in his book, he talks about this. How do you have biblical integrity, but also a welcoming culture, not just in your church, but in your life? I don't know if anybody does a better job than he does. But I asked him, can I say some of this? And he said, yeah, sure. So Corey's church is the gayest church in Rutherford County. Don't get mad at me for saying that. It is. You know why so many gays and lesbians go to his church? Now, some of you are thinking, well, because he never preaches the truth. Well, you had not heard him preach. He doesn't just preach the truth. He slaps people around with it. I mean, he's a lot worse than I am. It's like old King James stuff. But they show up and they sit on the front rows. You know why? Because they know he loves them. The whole church just exudes that. You're welcome. Come. And then he speaks the truth. He's got a member that just left a lesbian relationship, and now she leads a ministry. She lives a celibate life. By the way, I want you to know we have that too. I can't speak a lot of it because I don't, always, I don't always have permission to share details of stories. But we've got a, a couple. They came to us, a lesbian couple who were engaged. We have a couple of members at North Boulevard. You know what they did? They went up to her, and they explained to her that this is a sin. We have a policy against that. We can't believe the Supreme Court did what they did. No, they didn't do that. And if they had done that, she'd have never come back. She would have just concluded, yep, Christians hate everybody. I always thought that. Instead, they just loved on her. They took her out. They began to open the Word of God with her, and they just let the Word of God speak to her soul. This couple has split up, and she now leads a ministry in the church. What I'm suggesting is there's a way for Christians to fight this battle that wins. Equip yourself with godlike armor. That's the third point I want to make. By the way, there's a, a temple, uh, the ruins of a temple in uh, Ephesus that actually has almost every piece of armor that Paul mentions. I just think it's kind of cool. I thought I'd shoot this up here because it mentions the, the, these are the greaves. They go over your ankle, over your uh, shins to protect you in a battle, the helmet, the sword, the belt. It's all on here from Ephesus. And Paul just says, this is how you're going to equip yourself. By the way, what's he say? Put on the panoply. The Greek word is panoplia. That's where we get, you remember that old song, the panoply of God? I don't even remember where the song was. I just remember the word panoply. I, liked, I always thought it was a cool word. We need to, let's reclaim that word. I want to wear the panoply today. Um, oh, I just realized that could come out wrong. Um, the panoply of God, what is it not? He says, put on the full armor of God, which is what? Make sure you have a screaming Facebook page, the panoply of God. Make sure everybody knows how much you disapprove of what they're doing and who they are. No, guys, you'll never win the fight for souls like that. Julie worked for the elections up until the last couple of days. 
and she worked at the um, at Sportscom. So early voting center. If you went in to vote, you probably saw the lovely Mrs. Young sitting there taking your, your um, driver's license, your ID, and, um, and directing you over to a booth. And she says that this 1,700 people a day showed up. Am I right? 1,700 people a day showed up at Sportscom, which is three times what they normally get. So this is a really hot election if you haven't figured that out. And by and large, people from Rutherford County are very nice, good people. I mean, 99%. But every once in a while, there are those who aren't. State law of Tennessee, you can't wear clothing that promotes any particular politician. Now, I don't know why the law was passed, but I know the good that it brings. I don't have to I don't have to be lobbied the whole time I'm waiting in line to vote. It's a good law. But ever so often someone comes in, they don't like the law. Is that a fair thing to say? So they'll come in, they'll have a politician's name written across their shirt. They're wearing a hat that makes a political statement. And the job of these, when I was there, when I voted, there's five or six sweet women just sitting there just doing their job. Uh, And they have the job of saying, uh, sir, because it's always a man, sir, (laughs) Uh, you can't wear that shirt while you vote. We have some other shirts if you'd like to just put one on temporarily, or maybe you could turn one inside out, or if you don't mind taking the hat off. And uh, ever so often, they just make sure that everybody within a one-mile radius of Sportscom understands how they feel about that. So she had one who said, all right, if that's how you feel, he takes his shirt off. And by the way, he made me look thin. This guy makes me look thin. (laughs) So he's now standing in line with his gut hanging over like this, shirtless in order to make his statement. But this past Wednesday, as she said this to a guy, he leans forward, gets in her face and starts screaming at her about his constitutional right to wear this outfit. Makes some racial slurs in the, in the process of all of this. And she comes home and she tells me about it. Oh, t- probably a little teary-eyed. And I just think to myself, oh, I pray, dear Jesus, that man does not wear the name of my Christ. Because the only person who won that day was Satan. You think he convinced anybody to vote his guy? Satan's the only one who won. What I'm suggesting is we have a different set of armor. We follow Jesus. We have a different set of armor. Our armor is this. We tell the truth. We practice Ethical behavior. Remember, it's really hard for you to persuade someone to follow Jesus when you live an unethical life. That's what rightness means. We have good news about what? What's our good news about? It's about peace. This is what the world's so hungry for. Of all times in an anxious time like this, don't we need good news about peace? We have faith. And listen, I just want to make sure you understand this. Our faith is not faith in faith. Our faith is faith in King Jesus. It doesn't matter who gets elected as respect to who is king of the universe. Jesus will be king of the universe on November the 3rd and on November the 4th. And forevermore, he's never going to step down and nobody's going to impeach him. He's king of the universe. And you can have faith in that. Don't you trust? Listen. I know there's a lot at stake in this election. I feel it too. I'm not trying to downplay politics. We have a responsibility to steward the government uh, with which God has entrusted us. I'm not knocking that, but I am saying you got a higher responsibility. You're a follower of Jesus. You have a higher responsibility. And it's the souls of the world. 
It's the truth of Jesus. It's the peace of our good news. And it's trust that no matter who is elected, God is still in charge. A helmet of salvation, you know what a helmet does for a Roman soldier? It means he can keep his head held high. You've been saved. What do you got to worry about? We don't need to run around like rats on a sinking ship. We've got nothing to worry about. We've been saved. And last, we have the sword of the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. So I'm going to say this. Don't isolate yourself. This is a time when you might want to isolate yourself from the world. Instead, insulate yourself. By the way, I got this from Corey too. It's one of the things that he, sort of, I really want to recommend this book, that you get his book. Because he really sort of helps you think through. Don't run off into a monastery and say, I can't stand this world. Insulate yourself with the panoply of God so that you can go out into the world and show the world who Jesus is. We equip ourselves with God-like armor. And then last, Paul says, pray, 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 pray. Pray for courage, pray. Pray in all occasions. Pray in the Spirit. I love that phrase. It's used twice in the Bible. Jude 20 and 21 says pray in the Spirit. And Ephesians chapter 6 says pray in the Spirit. And Jesus says in Luke chapter 11, the Father will give the Holy Spirit to anyone who asks. What's being said here is this. We don't have the power to stand in an anxious day like this. But God does. When we pray in the Spirit... The Spirit responds. He equips us for the fight that we face. And guys, just make sure you know this. We're going to win. Like the last chapter of our story has already been written. And we won. Which is good news because my clicker just died. So <laughs> if we're going to win, let's win on that. I want to go back to this. Whether it's anxiety that you're facing whether it's difficult relationships that you're facing, whether it's a job loss or physical illness, whether it's just the fear of what's going to happen on November the 3rd, remind yourself of who's in charge. God's already written the last chapter. He's already written the last chapter, and you won. You won. It's over. You won. The only question now is what's going to look like between now and then. So we think it's tough now. In 1989, Bill Hayden was elected governor general of the state of Australia. That is the equivalent of their president. So you get elected, but then the queen has to designate it afterwards, which she does. This guy was an avowed hostile atheist. Bill Hayden was. Uh, he hated Christians. In fact, he uh, was in trouble one time for suggesting that every church in Australia ought to have all its property confiscated, sold, and given to other people. Imagine yourself in 1989 if that guy were elected president of the United States. That's what happened. And the churches were quivering. They didn't know what was going to happen. He leaned towards socialism. He leaned towards high government control of everything, and he was making threats against Christians. Well, he served for, he was the second longest um, office holder for this position of governor general. When he became 84 years old, he had a stroke, and he ended up in the hospital for seven months until he was 85. And while he lay in the hospital, his brain started going back through his 84 years, and he remembered this woman. 
She had been his friend for 40 years. She was the administrator of a hospital that had helped AIDS patients, people in hospice care, and the sickest of the sick, oftentimes charging them nothing. And she had befriended him, and where many Christians were terrified of him, this woman, Miss Nunn, you see she's a nun, she just loved on him, and she would say, one day, this is what she said, one day God's going to get your little heart, and one day God's going to get your little heart. Seven months he lay in bed thinking about this. And when he was let out of the hospital at the age of 85 years old, Bill Hayden called her up and said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Can I be baptized? Can you imagine that? All the political arguments in the world did not win him to Jesus. All the angry rants that people issued about him, although if they'd had Facebook, Facebook posts wouldn't have won him in the world. But the simple love and the goodness of someone who understood the real enemy is not you, it's the devil. And we're not going to let him win. Guys, we're not going to let him win. Not at this church. The devil will not win at this church. And so here's how we want to end. It's with the very words of Paul. Sad words because it's over. Peace to the brothers and sisters. Love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So we are in battle, but we stand in the mighty strength of the Lord our God, and we already know who's going to win. What you let us know, if we can help you resolve to stand in the strength of the Lord while we stand up and while we sing.